Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You are joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, Zara McDonald, and hello, producer Annabelle Lee. Hello. Hi, guys. Coming up on today's show, Kate Ritchie slams the Daily Mail for a gross intrusion of privacy. Say hello to Taylor Swift's directing era. The White Lotus cements itself as the most culturally relevant TV show of 2022. Abby Chatfield sparks a national conversation about slut shaming. And last, but certainly not least, our thoughts on the first three episodes of Harry and Meghan's Netflix series. First, Michelle, how was your week? Well, guys, it is the morning after our live show and I'm so tired I'm not even sure if I'm here. No, I don't think I'm here either. You're both here to confirm. (laughs) How are we feeling? We're feeling good. It was a really, really wonderful night. Thank you so much to all 2,000 of you (sighs) Melbournians who turned up at the Melbourne Town Hall. I mean, it's all a bit of a blur now. And not all Melbournians either. Some oh, people true. are travelling from interstate. How disrespectful of me. I know. I saw an Instagram story of someone who came to the live show and posted afterwards, worth the 6am flight I back saw. to Sydney yeah. tomorrow. I know. God bless you to that listener. And Leona, to listener. I think was her it was name. Leona. I don't know how I remember <laughs> no, that. No, I remember that too. Leona, a personal shout out. A personal shout out to everyone who travelled. Everyone who made the effort. It was an awesome night it feels like a blur yeah a total total blur this episode might also be a blur so you know <laughs> hold on to your, hold on to your hats i can say do you have a recommendation for me today i do look this recommendation is a bit of a different one from me it is from the diary of a ceo oh yeah so wildly different from what <laughs> so we normally do different yeah. from every other rec no it is from diary of a ceo but it is the interview with billy mcfarland the founder and fraud star behind the fire festival. Now, I wasn't sure whether I wanted to listen to this one. My sister Claire listened to it and essentially sat me down on Saturday and was like, I feel a lot of conflicting things about this. I don't think it should have been a podcast episode. I need you to listen and tell me your thoughts. I listened to the whole hour and 45 minutes of this chat and then came back to her and was like, I do kind of disagree. I think this is a worthwhile conversation. And I think that's why it's my recommendation for the week, because I know it's controversial, the fact that Billy McFarland has been interviewed and given this platform. But I also think it's a scintillating conversation to come off the back of it to say who deserves a platform and when. Yeah, I think for me, when I saw this drop into my feed, I probably had the same thought as Claire, which was, I don't know if I have the energy for this because I'm not entirely sure. I mean, it's not like I spent a lot of time thinking about it, but my initial fleeting thought was the ethics of this is certainly interesting Yeah, and certainly a little muddy. But when you listen to it, you did say worth a conversation. Well, I think... Worth a conversation about the conversation. Yes, 100%. I think it's worth listening to and then wrangling with some of those questions in your own mind. I think where I sit with it is... I do think the interview's okay, particularly knowing that Billy's been to prison. He went to prison for almost five years, I think. He also did months of solitary confinement. And I think hearing about his experience in jail, although he did horrible things, and I think he really scammed people and he was awful, he has also served punishment for that. And I think hearing about the punishment was very interesting for me. And then figuring out in my head if this man is a pathological liar for an hour and 45 minutes was also an interesting mind game. Well, that's the other part for me is like how much of this story can be believed given we know the lies he's told in the past. Yes. That said, seven months of solitary confinement. I, I mean, morally, no matter what you do, I, I simply like can never endorse that yeah. for anybody. Like I find that pure torture. I will give this a go. Yeah, I think do it because either went down another rabbit hole about fire festival listen to this entire interview and then mitch and i rewatched the fire documentary on netflix yeah and i just 
I forgot how wild the whole story is. So if you want a bit of nostalgia, I think this is a good way to dive back into it. That is my recommendation. What about you? I have a book recommendation today and I want you to bear with me because it sounds, it will sound a little harder to get into than it is, I promise you. <laughs> is it about the Murdochs? No, it's not about the Murdochs. In fact, the plot and the narrative itself is very juicy, right? So it's it's called Here is the Beehive. It's a book by an author by the name of Sarah Cross and it actually came out in 2020. It has been sitting on my bookshelf for two years years and on Saturday I was heading to the beach and I thought what book on this bookshelf have I not read and it's the kind of cover that's been staring at me for two years that I've almost just forgotten about and I was like you know what I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to try it because I turned to the blurb and the blurb told me straight away that the story was about a woman who'd been having an affair for three years finds out that the guy she's been having an affair with dies stop and she it's like all about how do you (laughs) grieve that when nobody even knew that you were a a partner. I so need to I'm read like, this immediately. Wait, no, because I was like, this is amazing. I'm so excited. I get down to the beach. I open up the book and I realise it's all written in verse. So it's like poetry. Oh, I did and not I, yes. this. So then I was like, fuck, like, I don't have the mental capacity for this. It's December. Who has this? And I thought, you know what? I've got nothing to do. I'm going to give it a try. I promise you it was so easy to read. It poetry. F- it flowed so beautiful. Yeah, I, I say poetry because that's how it set out. But it was more just like a poetic way of writing. Okay. More than anything else don't be intimidated by how it looks i promise you i will not give you a wanky recommendation in the in the last couple of weeks of the year because <laughs> nobody has time for that it is an incredible read the way that the, it is set up and information is fed to you about halfway through the book and it's the definition of a book that says less like it doesn't give you you, you kind of read something and you're like hang on a second <laughs> did they just tell me something fucking massive as a by the by and you love subtlety and you I love, love saying subtlety. less so i really really love this book guys please give it a shot I know the structure sounds a bit funny the structure is certainly unlike anything I've ever read but it's such a juicy interesting morally questionable tale that I found fascinating I've done a 360 I'm back on board <laughs> are you gonna read it, it? please yes. please read it over the summer I actually think you'd really really like it and also I felt so fucking smart after it <laughs> I was like I just read a whole book in a day that was written in verse like who am I if you're reading anything in a day I think I have to pick it up yes unless it has the name Lachlan Murdoch in it. yeah that's so fair <laughs> guys we are gonna jump straight into the quick and dirty today it is of course the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle Zara oh exhausted uh, McDonald's yeah that's about <laughs> right what have you got for us our first story Kate Ritchie blasts Daily Mail for shocking invasion of privacy over clinic photos that is from news.com Ooh, what a massive story this week this was really everywhere in case you missed it late last week radio personality and two-time gold Logie winner Kate Ritchie slammed the Daily Mail over one of the biggest breaches of privacy that we can probably recall in a while, Zara. Yeah, I can't remember being so horrified by a story and maybe this year. Like, I, mm. I truly found this invasion of privacy pretty disgusting, but I know we'll get into the details in a sec. Yeah, we'll give you guys the context first. We've said it a couple of times on Shameless this year. Kate Ritchie, who is 44, has had a pretty tricky year. In August, she made headlines for drink driving. Police pulled over her car on a Monday afternoon in a random breath test and she blew over the legal limit. She had her license suspended for three 
three months and that was made public and was a pretty big controversy. In October, she announced that she was stepping down from her primetime radio gig on Kate, Tim and Joel for the rest of the year. At the time that she stood down, she said she needed time away from work so that she could, and we quote, have more time for myself and my family to re-energize. This week, there was a pretty yucky development. Yeah, for sure. So the Daily Mail published pap photos of Kate entering a mental health facility in Sydney. Their headline read, exclusive, Kate Ritchie enters a mental health clinic carrying a family advice book after she left her top rating Nova show due to stress when she was charged with drink driving. Now, Mish, we saw this on the morning that it dropped and the conversation in the shameless office was probably much like the conversations that were happening everywhere, which Mm. was, this is like a shocking invasion of somebody's privacy. Like, I know we have conversations a lot on this show about, you know, the Daily Mail sinking to new lows and them Mm. constantly surprising us. But this truly did surprise me, I think, in 2022 that this was a story that they felt comfortable running. It felt reminiscent of the headlines we used to see about like people like Britney Spears when they were going through a mental health crisis. Not to say that these two are the same thing, but I thought truly we were at a place publicly where it was wholly accepted that if someone is seeking mental health treatment and trying to get better, we don't publish paparazzi shots of them entering a rehab facility. Absolutely. That's what I thought too. Now, soon after the article was published, Kate published a statement of her own on her personal Instagram page to more than 300,000 followers. She wrote, as announced previously, I am taking a break until next year. The last year has been incredibly emotionally challenging as well as a relentless schedule, stress and a lack of sleep. I came to realize this had led to an unhealthy reliance on alcohol. So I decided to use this time to do something positive by getting the help I need from professionals who specialize in this area as everyone would understand this is a very big step for me I want to sincerely thank everybody who is supporting me now the Daily Mail wrote about this development in the story right they put out a whole other article about Kate's statement and her admission that yes she is struggling with alcohol if you had only read the Daily Mail story on the development though you would have believed that that is where Kate's statement ended that what Zara just read out was all that Kate had to say Only the Daily Mail team made a very interesting decision to literally crop Kate's statement and leave out perhaps the most important paragraph because Kate Ritchie's statement actually ended with this. It is a shocking invasion of my privacy that the Daily Mail, through their unrelenting stalking of me, has forced me to issue this public statement in their blatant attempt to publicly shame me on a private health matter. I cannot believe how cowardly the Daily Mail was. The journalists, the editors, whatever team came to this decision to literally delete that. They they had a photo of her statement and cropped out her final paragraph, taking aim at them as if it never happened. Yeah, and you can only imagine the conversations that happened behind closed doors about that, like that very considered decision to erase themselves from the narrative when in reality... The only reason we were ever hearing about this in the first place is because of them. It's like completely disgusting. Mm. It is beyond comprehension. It is a story time and time again we have seen play out in the past that has only done damaging things to individuals. I'm flabbergasted that we're still in this position. I also love that Kate Ritchie did it. I love that within a few hours she put this out so unashamedly. Like good on her good on her for getting help for whatever she's struggling with it's not easy it's not easy good on her for owning it and for taking aim at this kind of intrusion like i i have nothing but respect for kate ritchie in this situation the daily mail also made the interesting decision 
that on the original headline they ran, right, the original headline of those invasive paparazzi shots of Kate, they let more than 100 comments flood onto that article with some pretty heinous sentiment. Like I read through them and was like, this is pretty shocking. The second article where they just happened to edit out her comments about them and they cropped her statement, it wasn't active. You couldn't leave a comment for so long. I went back and checked it today at the time of recording. There are seven comments that have been let through compared to the 100 on the first article. I just find it very interesting. Whoever is moderating their comments allows the most heinous and vile things about women in the public eye to go through. But I imagine some people had things to say about the Daily Mail that were omitted from that section or moderated out of that comment section. And I just find that to be borderline hilarious that they can't cop it. Like they can dish it out, but they They cannot cop it. And they're a fucking publication. They're not even an individual person. Yeah. This is a media publication who can't cop it. Yeah, total cowards. Our second story. Please welcome to the stage Taylor Swift's director era. That is from Vanity Fair. I am preemptively defensive about this story. (laughs) We've got lots to get there before you can be, though. Look, subtlety surely isn't one of Taylor Swift's strengths, is it? No. She is surely the most obvious woman in the world. That's fine. She's never promised to be anything other. No, absolutely. And there's, it's, no, it's not a crime. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> arguing it's a crime. It's just interesting to watch. Now, <sighs> listeners might remember a few months ago after we spoke about reports that Taylor Swift looked to be angling for an Oscar mm. for directing the all-too-well short film, short film, not music video. Do not utter those words around <laughs> this video thing. Now, film experts noted that she... Look, to be angling for an EGOT, which is an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar and Tony, she has half of it. She has the egg. She's got the egg bit. She needs yes, the Yes, she needs the art. Oscar and a Tony. And so she's shooting for this Oscar and she's kind of been doing all the right things this year. She's been premiering at certain and specific film festivals. She's done her best to keep the public interested in the film despite the fact it was released months ago. She doesn't need to try. I'll always be interested in the 10-minute <laughs> version of All Too Well. But no one's really, like you wouldn't be talking about it as much if she wasn't constantly reminding us that she directed this. You underestimate my fandom. Well, that's true. <laughs> now, it should be noted as well, Oscar nominations do come out next month. So so buzz is really yes. important right now. We know with Oscars, they're all voted on. So it has to be kind of front of mind for people. Now, over the last week, things really kicked up a notch when it came to Taylor Swift chasing Oscar being seen as director. Yes. Here's how Vanity Fair described it. Taylor Swift has laid the groundwork and now, just like clockwork, the dominoes of her directing <laughs> career are cascading in a line. Do we all recognise that lyric? Oh, oh no. Oh, it's a lyric, guys. It's from, from Mastermind. Mastermind, what, yes. What album is Mastermind? <gasps> the newest one. What's it called? Midnight. Get off this podcast. <laughs> I really <laughs> like Taylor Swift. I'm a fan, but I just don't know how I'm... Why am I expected to know that? Yeah, no, it is <laughs> actually... the lyric? Literally, the dominoes cascaded in a line. You knew that I was a mastermind. Also, oh. the... the I laid the groundwork and now just like clockwork. The the whole thing is a lyric. Great props to Vanity Fair. No, not great props because to be honest, I read a lot of articles about this and every publication half as bizarre. Did everyone use this? Everyone (laughs) tries to do the little wink, wink, like we're Swifties too. And they weave in as many lyrics from the latest album that they possibly can. Well, aren't I the grateful? Because (laughs) I just read them as normal. (laughs) Anyway, the first thing that Taylor has started doing is dropping behind the scenes footage of her directing all too well to prove that she actually has been directing it. Which is like funny timing because this film clip, sorry, short film (laughs) 
came out so long ago. She's now only just dropping the behind the scenes stuff. And it is, it's really interesting to watch her in the thick of it all, right? Then after that happened, off the back of its Actors on Actors series, Variety announced the lineup of filmmakers who were taking part in their Directors on Directors collection. Now, Taylor Swift was one of these directors. For the uninitiated, if you're wondering, I don't know what any of that means. Some of our listeners might have seen the videos floating around on TikTok or Instagram where at least for actors on actors, you had two actors sitting there interviewing each other about their work. Jennifer Lawrence and Viola Davis had a really great one the other week. Yes, it's quite highbrow as well. It's It's like legit actors. Yeah, 100%. Now Variety has announced this directors on directors thing and Taylor was part of it. And people started (laughs) getting a little bit outraged (laughs) about the fact that she was involved and generally, quote unquote, taking up a spot from other female directors. For example, this tweet had 3,000 likes, a list of brilliant women who actually deserved a spot here for their great work in 2022, which went on to name a whole bunch of other female directors. Which, don't get me wrong, I'm sure so many of those directors are incredible. I'm just not mad to see Taylor involved in the lineup. No, and I, I, I am interested in this backlash because... I'm kind of neither here nor there about it. I can kind of understand why people are upset about it. You know, the old adage of she hasn't paid her dues yet in this industry. Mm. But she's also not like some random person off the street who's like an heiress who has never proved herself ever. Like she's clearly one of the greatest musicians of all time. There you go, Michelle. I clearly very much like it. She's clearly proved her creative flair that she's good at a lot of things. That kind of storytelling ability can absolutely translate over to being seen as a director. Is it a little premature? Yes. Would Variety say that? Yes. Are they just trying to get more eyeballs on their series? Yes. (laughs) She has though also won multiple VMAs like for directing as well. It's not like, yes, she's always been involved in music videos or short films attached to singles, whatever. She has done a pretty good job in this space. I understand there might be other more worthy names out there. Are we really going to begrudge Variety for wanting to pack full this new product with star power? Like, it's I know. Everyone's yeah. best interest. Of course, Variety's going to put Taylor Swift in. Because also, directors are arguably far more faceless. No like, they gives, don't have yeah. the celebrity pool that a Jennifer Lawrence does or a Taylor Swift does. That's probably why you need to put Taylor on there. Yeah, for sure. Also, another thing. Who's to say that Taylor is taking the spot from one of the other female producers or directors? Couldn't one of the men be bumped out for a female director? Why yeah. are we looking like a woman A woman can only take another woman's spot? Why don't we open up our minds and think that more women could be involved full stop? <laughs> a brilliant point that I didn't see enough <laughs> online. Now, straight after that announcement of Directors on Directors, Variety came out with another headline that read, Taylor Swift making feature directing debut for Searchlight Pictures, which announced the fact that Taylor Swift has written an original script which will be produced by Searchlight and, as the headline suggests, she will be directing. Searchlight's a big deal as well. Huge. This is the same company that put out Nomadland, Black Swan and Slumdog Millionaire. So it's not like she's partnered and with Shape some... Shape of Water. Shape of Water. Yeah. She's partnered with some small fry no no production company small, small fry is that the same <laughs> small, fry. small fry i thought it was small fish small oh, oh, no no you know what as if i am as if i am correcting you oh, on a saying i'm not um, seeing a lot i'm googling it and i'm not seeing what i'd like to see <laughs> but i'm going to oh no merriam webster dictionary small fry means minor or unimportant there we oh, go yeah. oh, well done i think small fish does too <laughs> now when it comes to this film taylor has said she could see herself going to a more comedic irreverent place and I do love Taylor Swift but she's not 
She's not known for being funny. Yeah, this is the one part where I might agree with you as a Taylor Swift stan. If I want to see a Taylor Swift film, give me a romantic storyline. Give me a love story. Give me heartbreak. Give me heartbreak and like revenge. But you don't think she's funny? No. (laughs) I think she's a cracker. I think unintentionally so. (laughs) (laughs) Truthfully, if I'm honest. Which I need to put my hand in the air. Also not that funny. No, 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 absolutely. None of us are. I guess I put my hand up as well. <laughs> well, if we're, Reluctantly. If we're all being self-deprecating. <laughs> no, I think it's it's interesting to me because I, I saw this story and I, I mean, there are a lot of layers to it, right? Her gunning for this Oscar so unashamedly, I am obsessed with. Mm. I love the directors on Directors Backlash. I find it interesting. But more than that, her announcing that she's going on to direct a film, I'm like, Taylor, who can be fucked with a whole new career? Oh. I have so much respect for people who have nailed one area of their life and then say I'm going to try something else because if it's me and I probably will do this for the rest of my career <laughs> I've done the podcasting thing we've done it alright you will never see me trying to star in a film ever like do you know what I mean it's, it's like it's a recipe for disaster we're going to stick to podcasting I think I get what you mean it's massive it's for her to do this she is so courageous though of course she is and shameless about it yes she's obvious she's not subtle about a single thing in her life but I'm here for it. She's I a have, mastermind. I have she the dominoes are falling in the water. Yes, they are. <laughs> now I have a lot of respect for it because I just know I wouldn't do the same. So good on her. Let's see what this movie is. Our third story: Tony Collette and Dave Galifassi split after substantial separation. That is from the cut. Now, look, I have to be honest. Tony Collette and her <laughs> husband aren't usually the kinds of celebrities we cover on this show. With no disrespect to them, in fact, I'm quite a fan of Tony Collette. They're quite private, though. I don't think we've ever mentioned them on this show. <laughs> but Michelle was quite desperate to fight for this story, and so we're doing it. Fight for it, I will. I just I care heaps about no, Tony Collette. It is interesting, this story. I care a lot about this story. Last Thursday, Tony posted on her Instagram announcing her split from her husband of 20 years. Now, she posted it under a photo that had the words peace and love. In her caption, she wrote, It is with grace and gratitude that we announce that we are divorcing. We're united in our decision and part with continuing respect and care for each other. Our kids are of paramount importance to us and we will continue to thrive as a family, albeit a different shape. We're thankful for the space and love you grant us as we evolve and move through this transition peacefully. Big thanks. Now, hours after she released that statement, the Daily Mail entered the chat. Exclusive Hollywood star Tony Collette splits with her husband of 20 years as he's pictured passionately kissing a young woman in the surf during a steamy rendezvous at an iconic Sydney beach. Now, this is how they open the story. Hollywood great Tony Collette has announced she is splitting from her musician husband of almost 20 years after he was snapped passionately kissing a woman in the surf off a Sydney beach. Dave Galifassi, who was a drummer in an indie rock band when he met the Muriel's wedding star, was pictured on Wednesday taking an early morning dip at with chiropractor Shannon Egan. The piece went on saying that the Daily Mail had contacted Tony Collette's management about the photos and that within hours of them reaching out to her, she had put out that divorce statement, right? Correct. So you've got the Tony Collette divorce statement, then you've got the pap photos from the day earlier. So it, it became quite clear that the Daily Mail have gone to Collette's team mm. and said, we've got these photos. What are you going to say about it? She's come out with her statement. The pap photos are published. And then what's really interesting is Tony Collette then amended her statement after it had been published to introduce the line at the very start after a substantial period of separation. Right. Clearly, because mm. people started asking questions, well, 
were you together when this had happened? Were there overlapping timelines with this new woman and your marriage? Yes. And I think the overwhelming question I have here is who the hell has tipped these paps off? Like someone has to have tipped these paps off. It is too random otherwise, surely. No offence to Dave Galafassi. He's not the highest profile person we've ever talked about on this show. So who was tipping off a photographer to say, hey, head to this beach at this time because Dave Galafassi, Tony Collette's husband of 20 years, is about to be making out with a chiropractor in the water. Also, I think the other thing I thought as I was consuming this story is, okay, well, maybe he's just not a big deal to me. Maybe I'm an idiot. Maybe we've (laughs) missed the Dave Galafassi bandwagon. No, and he's clearly well known, but these two are notoriously private. It's not like Tony and Dave have been out there giving interviews over the years. Mm. They have been very protective over their space and their privacy. In fact, there are barely any photos taken of them in the last five years. Like if you Google him, a lot of the photos are from 10 to 15 years ago. And, you know, people look different 10 to 15 years on. So I really would doubt that someone's walking along Manly Beach with a papland is saying, that Dave is Gallif- that Dave, Tony's <laughs> ex-husband? Like it, someone has to have tipped this off. I just, I'm so confused. Now, other people were wondering as well, as we touched on, okay, well, was this an affair? I mean, the top comment on Tony's post was, yep, I would divorce my husband too if he cheated. You deserve better, Colette. <laughs> and I'm like, does, does Cindy not realise her name is Tony Colette? <laughs> better Colette. Or had he just quietly moved on before we knew what was happening? I think it has to be the latter. I think in my mind, they had to have split. Dave's moved on. They just hadn't announced it yet because Tony Collette came out so quickly with that divorce line. You don't use the D word unless, unless you've, you've been really, sitting on it. Or unless you're particularly pissed. If you're really, really no, angry, maybe you go for the D you word You might try away. to, but your team would tell you not to. You would say, we're taking time apart. You would say we're on a break. If this was a shock to you mm. and you had to release a statement within <laughs> hours, you would not go too hard. You would not put anything too concrete in writing. You'd be way more vague about it. Yeah, you know what? Maybe you're right. I wouldn't mind betting as well that maybe someone involved with the new partner, this new chiropractor, Shannon Egan, maybe they were just ready for this relationship to be public. So they thought, let's give it a little nudge get the news out there yeah let's tell the world there's a new couple in town <laughs> dave galafassi's off the market again <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> oh my god the wheels are off uh, our fourth story abby chatfield called out carl sanderlands and Brittany hockley for slut shaming her on the radio that is from pedestrian yeah guys this is fast becoming one of the biggest local stories of the week media personality and entrepreneur abby chatfield has called out the kyle and jackie o show for slut shaming her in a segment that aired last month. Kyle and Jackie O is currently being hosted by Kyle Sanderlands and Brittany Hockley. Brittany's actually filling in for Jackie O. Britt is, of course, well known in the Australian media for being a finalist on the Honey Badgers season of The Bachelor and for, of course, co-hosting the successful podcast Life Uncut. Yeah. Now, in this particular segment that has caused so much controversy and is generating so many conversations, Kyle and Brittany were interviewing the rapper Young Gravy. Now, yes, that is the rapper (laughs) that we've spoken about on the show before who has become massive on TikTok this year. He took Addison Rae's mum to the MTV Movie Awards. <laughs> Didn't he comment on one of your TikTok videos this year? He commented on a TikTok video about my mum. Yes. The vid- and people won't believe me because they might go through my TikTok and try and find it. TikTok took the video down, but it went viral before it was taken down. 
And Young Gravy made a comment about my mum about he, he has things to show her or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah righto. Anyway, so... You, friend of the show, friend Young of Gravy. Friend of the show, Young Gravy. Now, the conversation on the Kyle and Jackie O show soon turned to the fact that Young Gravy had been messaging Abby Chatfield and that they were going to go on a date when he came to Australia in this coming February. Yeah. Now, upon learning that Young Gravy and Abby had been talking, some of the comments from Kyle and Brittany were pretty slut-shamey. When Young Gravy shared that they did have that upcoming date, Britt remarked, no doubt. Then Kyle chimed in with this. You and everyone else line up. Some other comments from Kyle included, are you more likely to root her, as in Abby, or Brittany? Do you want Brittany or Abby? Did Abby send you any nudes? You must be the only one who hasn't, as in the only one who hasn't been sent nudes by Abby Chatfield. Now, I mean, where do we even begin with Carl Sanderlands? We've spoken about him on this show so many times. But mm. Abby very rightly called the pair out on her show and essentially unpacked their slut shaming of her. We really encourage you to listen to her segment on all of this. We will put a link to her episode in our show notes. A video snippet of her segment at the time of recording has racked up almost 500,000 views on Instagram. Now, there's absolutely no doubt that Kyle was the main instigator here like he always is. And his comments are absolutely vile. Disgusting. I mean, they all, He always is, though. Yeah, He's like so the, vile. Yeah, completely. And I think it's fair to say that Britney did endorse the slut-shamey sentiment by adding comments here and there and did make a comment about sort of how quote-unquote different she is to Abby in the context of all of this. Yeah. What do we make of all of this? Because this has truly exploded. It's interesting that this was a segment that aired weeks ago and it's coming up now. I think it's been interesting maybe to see how it's exploded now that Abby has addressed it. So many people didn't know that this happened on the Kyle and Jackie O show. And now so many people are talking about it. I think from where I sit, undoubtedly Kyle is the one here who made the worst of the comments he sits in a seat of power on that show like he has for almost two decades now and sadly the conversation is so unsurprising when it comes to Kyle Sanderlands like we've had this it feels like Groundhog Day with him that he repeatedly makes gross comments about women particularly young women I constantly feel out of words when it comes to Kyle Sanderlands because it's like I almost feel like I've said all the words yeah like I, I genuinely don't know where else to begin with him I think when it comes to Britney as well I mean there's clearly a power dynamic at play here when you are on a radio show with Carl Sanderlands and he's been in that seat for so long. But that said, when you make the decision to sit beside him and I think when you take a particular opportunity like this, you do, in my opinion, endorse what that show stands for and the kinds of things that are coming out of his mouth. And I think anyone who sits in that chair, even if they're dead silent, is complicit in what's happening. Well, you're greenlighting everything, right? Like if you're there, if you're choosing to be there and you're choosing to sit under that banner, you're greenlighting what the show stands for. Yeah, and I think it was really interesting, of course, to see Britt respond to this on her Instagram on Wednesday where she wrote, Hi everyone, this is to address the post made by Abby and the segment with Young Gravy on radio. Several weeks back when I was filling in for Jackie O, Kyle and I interviewed Young Gravy live on radio. Firstly, I want to apologise for the undercurrent misogynistic tones that the interview had. The nature of live radio is unpredictable and often unplanned, which was the case with the direction that this conversation took. Live on 
on radio, I found myself in a position where Abby and I were pitted against each other. This was not planned and this was not something I felt comfortable with and I thought by saying as little as possible in the interview, it would not add any fire to the situation. I see with hindsight that this was naive and contradictory to what I stand for. Yeah, Britt went on and wrote, it was not and has never been my intention to make anyone feel shameful for their dating or sex life. As a woman who has championed female empowerment, relationship equality and sexual freedom over the past four years, I am deeply apologetic that this happened Secondly, much has been said that Abby reached out to me nine days ago to discuss this via message. I was never notified that Abby had reached out to me as I had muted notifications given the overwhelming volume of messages I receive each day. I have since reached out. I acknowledge that the standard you walk by is the standard you accept. I will learn from this and do better in the future. I am sorry. Look, I think all you can really ask for in these scenarios is for people to take accountability and to learn from what's happened and to commit to not standing by these conversations going forward. So he's hoping that's what we see. Our fifth story. We're all still processing that White Lotus finale, but what is next for season three? That is from the LA Times. Guys, Sorry, but it's been a few days now. Spoiler (laughs) alert, Central. If you have not seen this, we will be talking about that ending. So skip ahead five-ish minutes. Yeah, five and a half to be safe. Guys, this has to be one of the best TV shows that has aired since Shameless began. Like, White Lotus feels like it is one of the most community-building, memefied, culturally relevant shows of our time. Yeah, I think that's absolutely bang on. I think for me... I remember having these moments when the whole world was in lockdown. Like we definitely felt unified because everybody was watching the same show at the same time, but it's felt a while since we've had that. I think maybe I never watched, um, fuck, what's that show? The Dragon One? House of the Dragon. The Dragon One. The one before that. Oh, Game um, of Thrones. Thrones. Game of Thrones. I get the The sense. The Dragon One. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I was like, are we cutting that out or giving it in? Let's give it in. I think we have to keep it in. I'm also really tired, Um, but I also didn't watch that show. But I think that that show is the last one I can remember that was kind of as culturally relevant as this one. Yes. When it comes to White Lotus, I mean, when it dropped and I recommended it on the show at the start of season two or re-recommended it, I said, I'm so fucking annoyed that it's dropping weekly. And now I'm like, I'm so glad it dropped weekly because it was so nice to be part of a movement. Yes. <laughs> to feel <laughs> to included. To feel part of something. Yes. You feel a bit want, lonely before. <laughs> everyone just wants somewhere to belong. You know what it's like? What? It's like the Olympics. When you get on board with the Olympics yes. and everyone's talking about it and you feel part of something, the White Lotus <laughs> just, is the Olympics or the swimming champion Championships or whatever that Zara McDonald loves. I'm just looking around and I'm just so happy we're all talking about the same thing. Now, if you are feeling like you've missed the White Lotus boat, it is a comedy drama available on Binge. Season two was just wrapped. It had an almost entirely new cast compared to season one, but the premise is kind of near identical. You've got a bunch of ridiculously wealthy people mostly white people, as they vacation at a luxury resort for a week. In season one, the resort was in Hawaii. In season two, it was in Sicily. I mean, how did we feel about the finale? Oh, we've, we've all watched it, mm-hmm. haven't we? Yeah. Uh, look, my main takeaway was that the Ethan Harper, Cameron, Daphne dynamic was one of the most scintillating I've watched. I loved it. Yeah. I love that they all ended up fucking each other. I know you and I disagree on this, Zara. You don't think that Harper and Cameron fucked. No, I don't. I think they absolutely did something in that bedroom. I think, and I will die on this hill, I feel so (laughs) passionately about the fact that Harper is so clever and knew that if her sex life and her relationship was dying, she knew how to play Ethan. She'd been learning from Daphne and the easiest way to play him to get some spark back was to actually insinuate that something did happen when it didn't. If she's that clever though, she then had her husband go and fuck Daphne. Yes, but look at them now. (laughs) I think they did stuff. So I watched an interview with 
Aubrey Plaza on Seth Meyers and she said that she filmed them doing stuff oh. and she yes, didn't even really know if it was going to be used as like an, an Ethan imagination thing or like so real life. So she doesn't even know. But the, that's why I also yeah. thought the imagination thing was so like because so many of the scenes that played out were in Ethan's head. I thought that was such a huge part of it to be like, this is all just a scenario that's existing in Ethan's head, but it's going to save their relationship anyway. Zara, the door would not have been latched. She, But they... she was playing him games. Like she was playing him from the start. Right. She knew what she was doing. We'll just have to agree to disagree. But my For main sure. takeaway is that the Ethan Harper, Cameron Daphne storyline was so good. It was my cup of tea. It was just done to perfection. Do we think they're going to come back for season three? I hope no. so. Mike White is... <laughs> so what the hell? It'll be no. a flash you know. No, but they often bring back people. Mike White is prolific. I'm pretty sure this season was filmed at the start of this year from about February through to July. It came out in November. Reports are that they're already filming season mm. three, which means between July and now month he had to write season three while season two was in post yes like none of this makes any sense to me how anyone can be this prolific but like props to him mike white has said that the first season was all about money the second season was all about sex and he thinks that season three i mean he thinks he's clearly right (laughs) will look more deeply at religion and spirituality he has also told reporters that he set his sights on asia or southeast asia is Mm. what i'm hearing lots of publications are running the theory that it is going to be set in Japan. I'll watch wherever it is. I'll watch wherever it is. I'll also keenly watch awards season because who knows how many awards the show will rack up this time. For season one, they racked up a colossal 20 Emmys noms. They won 10. I reckon season two was even better. I think the finale for season two with Tanya dying the way that she did was like the funniest, most beautiful, clever, beautiful, perfect ending to a season. I reckon they'll beat that 20 nominations for season two. They have to. It was so good. I think it was a lot better than season one. Annabelle, do you? Yeah, for sure. And I loved season one. We adored season one. I give this a 10 out of 10. I said at the live show last night, I think it might be better than the split. I don't think it's better than the split. (laughs) (laughs) But I am contracted to say that by myself. (laughs) Guys, that is all we've got for the quick and dirty. Thank you so much. Coming up after the break, well, a big chat about Harry and Meghan, of course. But first, a word from today's sponsor. Well, 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 at the time of recording, the first three episodes of Harry and Meghan have dropped on Netflix and there is so much to discuss. The docuseries is shot to the top of the charts in many countries around the world and currently sits at number two in Australia. So what did we love? What did we not like so much? And what the hell do we make of the incredibly passionate backlash online? Zara, where should we begin? Well, I think I'm just constantly surprised about the intensity of the backlash that these two receive. Like baffled. It's beyond intense. It's people really, really hate them. Really hate them. I was interested because the other week when we were talking about this on the show, Mish, you said you weren't super keen on this whole thing. You didn't really want to watch. <laughs> Annabelle also said, I'm not gonna watch. I I'm did not say interested. That. Uh, I understand both of you have watched the first three episodes. You didn't just watch Inhaled, Inhaled, as did I. Hey, <laughs> they're my girls. Inhaled. <laughs> and I had watched them all. 
by Friday night at about nine o'clock. You watched them before I did. I watched them before you did, and then I messaged you saying I need to formally retract what I said That's on the all show. Right. I absolutely watched it. I was under the impression that I had consumed too much of Harry and Meghan content. I felt like I wasn't going to get anything entirely fresh or new. Perhaps I could say there wasn't anything like groundbreakingly new, but I certainly felt like there was enough in these first three episodes to get my interest and keep my interest. I completely agree. Now, for those who haven't watched, let's actually have a conversation about what it was, right? It's kind of the story we've all been told before, as you said, Mish, just fleshed out with more intricate details. There are so many photos and videos we haven't seen before. Lots of text messages and involvement from family and friends that we've heard of, but have never actually spoken to the media. Megan's mother, Doria Ragland, is featured and is the hero of the story, in my opinion. We love Doria. She is amazing. And I think the first thing you hear from her when she sits down is she goes, I have a lot to say. Like I've been sitting on this for the past five years. And I think from my perspective, I found it the most human portrayal of these two that I'd ever seen. The stuff that we had seen of them in the past. And truthfully, even still, that Oprah interview felt very royal and constrained, Mm. felt very proper still. And to see them in selfies and doing things that normal couples do is bizarre. And Mm. I know that sounds ridiculous because, of course, they have a normal relationship when you pull the curtain back. But it's because we never see royals in the scenarios that they took us to that I thought was very intimate. The way they were even texting each other when they were first meeting up for their first date, we saw the grammar and the capital letters and the structure of their sentences in those messages. And I was like, what the hell? You and I are quite convinced that those text messages shown in the Netflix doco are the legit text messages. I think they have to be. Because they're too random. You know how when you message people and a random capital letter pops up and you're like, oh, whatever, I'll just leave it in. I do know that. All that stuff (laughs) is left in. Queen of typos. (laughs) I just don't think Netflix manufactured those texts. I think they're legit. I also think it would be too easy for them to be proven wrong by people because you know that there are people in their orbit that want to bring them down if other people who are part of those conversations like Thomas Markle for example Megan's dad wanted to prove her wrong they could so I think they they had to tell the truth and they'd be smart enough to know that yeah it was an interesting comment you said before it's the most human we've seen them I agree I've left the documentary, the first half of it anyway, at the time of recording. We obviously don't have the last three. I cannot wait to watch them as well. But I left the first three episodes thinking, God, I really feel like I get them as a couple. I really know them as a couple and I so believe their love story and I so believe how obsessed they are with each other. I don't necessarily feel like I know who Megan is as an individual or Harry is as an individual. That still evades me. I still find them to be so elusive and difficult to pin down. I still don't necessarily believe them just because they still seem so perfect and so shiny. Is that not the whole idea though? That brand Harry and Meghan should be bigger than both of them? That's what they're angling for. They want to be this juggernaut of the brand Mm. for sure. And I think they would want, in fact, they'd be clapping hearing you say (laughs) that because they think that's exactly the point. Now, I think before we speak about how other people have responded to this, Mish, let's have a conversation about how we felt about it, what were our strengths and our weaknesses. Because when you just said before that you believe in their love wholeheartedly and believe in their relationship, I think that was one of the overriding strengths for me about this documentary is I wholeheartedly believe that these two really love each other. Yeah, yeah, and it's quite sweet to see. I'll always be a fan of seeing people in love. Yes, no, same. I think that has to be the standout strength. 
you would have to have a gaping chasm where your soul is supposed to be. I don't know where that actually is. Wherever yeah. your soul is supposed to be in your body. That's quite an existential question, actually. <laughs> <laughs> if you do not believe their love for each other, I don't know what to tell you because it is extremely convincing that these two are obsessed with each other and I will always be a sucker for a romantic story like theirs. Yeah. And it's like they have the classic dynamic of him cracking a joke that just like wasn't funny and her cacking herself at it, being yeah. like, how funny is he? And you're like, uh, like a bit pathetic, <laughs> but aren't we all? Yeah. Like, aren't we all a bit pathetic in these kinds of scenarios? Now, I think the other thing that was really fascinating to me is how people can still watch this and think that Meghan is the woman who dragged him out of the royal family, that dragged Harry out of this world that he was desperate to stay in or he, he would have otherwise stayed in without her. Because I think you read much about Harry's story at all and then watch this documentary too you'll understand this man preferred to go to war for years Mm. than be around the royal family and be the target of the British press he took almost any opportunity to leave he never ever wanted to be there he's hated it for years Mm. he struggled with his mental health since he was a small boy like I think you watch this and you think yeah there's no way he was going to end up in this family there was no way he wasn't going to leave people are kind of deluded if they think Meghan is the reason they left harry hated being a royal that is abundantly clear to me like he really really hated living in the uk under that kind of press scrutiny and microscope and i think it's interesting because people might ask well what came first the chicken or the egg you know she came in here and pulled him out but he was attracted to an american probably for that very reason Mm. that she didn't know what life was like as a royal that perhaps subconsciously he knew she was going to show him a different world that he was actually very keen on exploring exploring and learning about like there are so many more layers to it i do have to say the series and the couple are not without fault they are not the perfect quote-unquote victims at all they are alarmingly earnest so earnest in fact i don't warm to either of them all that much no like uh, they call each other h and m (laughs) i I called them that on my instagram story yesterday and that was ironically h and m and like they do that i I don't know what it is about these two. In every interview, they're calling each other something different, like my darling or my... My love. My love. My love love. is very annoying. Yeah, just call each other Harry and Meghan. I also, I'm just (laughs) like... Why does it annoy me? (laughs) I don't know, but I totally agree with you because in the first, I reckon, few minutes of the doco, Meghan calls Harry H. And I'm like... Like we'll let it slide. Yeah, and then when they kept referring to each other by those initials, I was like, for God's sake, your name's Harry and then Like, come on. <laughs> for, <laughs> for goodness sake. Now, I also think I'll always have an eye roll watching anyone in the public eye try to convince me that they are so determined to change the world and only change the world. I think we yeah. had this, cl- this conversation about Selena Gomez the other week in her documentary. It's like you can want to have an impact on the world, but also let's be honest about your other motivations about being in the public eye too. You probably love it. Yeah. Like you might not, and I do want to be careful about that. I have no doubt that Harry and Meghan hate the media and hate the tabloids as much as they do, but I am also sure there are other parts of being known that they don't mind. That has to be a fact. I don't even think anyone can disagree with yeah, that. Why? would they be signing massive deals with Spotify and Netflix if they didn't love being in the public eye? But the issue is they continually frame it as, well, we're just here to champion equality and we're here to do all these incredible things for animal conservation and stuff. And I'm like, I would just believe you more if you said 
Yeah, there are some really cool perks that come with being a celebrity and having the lives that we do and the money and the fame. And the friends. And the friends and the connections. And it just feels like maybe with them we get half the story some of the time. And that's where I feel like it's a little bit disingenuous. But then the other part of my brain is going, do I struggle to like these two because it's almost the hating Ellison Ashley complex? Yes. Like the kind of person who is so sickly sweet who is so saccharine and so beautiful and shiny that maybe they are that way. Maybe they truly live their life where they go, all we care about is going to the UN and animal conservation. That's hard for me to get a read on because that is not me. I want to do good in my life, but I don't have a reference point for anyone I know who is even remotely like that. I think it's that. It's like I also do not have a reference point. I do not know anyone in my life who lives solely to make the world a better place. Like I, I simply don't. I think it's interesting because people might be listening to this saying, well, how can you possibly say that these two might not mind being in the public eye and just as equally celebrate them for their disdain for the British press? But I believe wholeheartedly those things can be true. I mean, watching how the media has responded to this documentary is, again, not surprising, but still is equally befuddling. The tabloids hated it like they they're the ones being eviscerated in a documentary like this right so of course they're not going to come out and say a beautiful exploration of the toxicity of of the british tablets like they're just simply not going to do that but also other publications didn't like it either i mean one of the guardian's reviews was three stars and ran under the headline so sickening i almost brought up my breakfast the new york times commented that this documentary series had all the intimacy of instagram (laughs) the atlantic's helen lewis was pretty brutal in her summation too this piece was searing by the way it was pretty intense hey she wrote the plot line might sustain harry's book sales and one or two forgettable netflix projects after that but it ends with them delivering 150 dollars birthday messages on cameo by 2030 yeah lots of people are seeing this as just regurgitated more of the same like regurgitated stuff that we already saw maybe a year ago on oprah yeah. or stuff that we've already seen in articles they're not seeing anything new and i found it really interesting to have such a different takeaway from this docu-series because I left going oh I've got all the details to flesh out this story that I knew the bones of but now I've got the flesh and like the flesh is so colorful and fun for sure but I think that's probably the stuff that you look for in a story right I think the other thing that's very interesting is the media as a target is so worthy right and I think the stories they tell about the tabloid stalking of Diana and the whole family and Harry and also the racist elements of the coverage I mean the overwhelming racist elements of the coverage was such a worthy conversation and a really important one. But also I feel like too amorphous of a target to have any real tangible impact. Like it's so easy for these publications to hide because there's so many of them and so many people who who make up the target. The Guardian wrote this line that I found really interesting in another review they wrote where they said, it's not just the royals who need to be compelled to learn from these films. So do the media, too much of which remains blind to its own failings, as well to its role in the sad personal stories that these documentaries ultimately reveal. Mm. I just would never want to be part of this world. No, 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 no. The life that is illustrated as a royal in this documentary series is like so bleak particularly when they say like you choose nothing you don't get to choose your partner you need approval from mummy to nana but yes or nana (laughs) 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 or now grandpa for who you want to who you want to marry you don't get to choose your job you have no agency if you're born into a senior enough position in the family you don't get to choose anything. Yes, you get money and yes, you get privilege and all those things, which I do think Harry could occasionally point to a little bit more. I think he doesn't point to that stuff enough. 
But I wouldn't want to be born into that life where I can't choose anything about my own identity. Everything is laid out before me and I am expected to walk in a perfectly straight line the whole way. It's also strange to me the amount of people, and I do feel like they're people older than us, who say that Diana would be, you know, quote unquote, turning in her grave, watching all of this unfold and be so disappointed in it all. And I do feel that I disagree with that entirely. Like, from everything I understand, Diana walked the same line that Harry and Meghan are walking without mm. actually leaving the family. She hated the press, but just as equally was desperate to tell her own truth too. She basically wrote a whole autobiography within the walls of the palace. She gave that panorama interview that, yes, was now, we know, given under questionable circumstances, but she still wanted people to know her truth and she wanted to be the one to tell that truth. And I think we tend to deify her in death, which we do a lot, but I see a lot of similarities between her story and Harry's. And it's interesting to me that so many people are trying to erase that. Yeah, Diana kind of set this path for Harry. Yeah, She constantly spoke about the trials and the tribulations of being a royal and being in that institution and the media coverage that came with that. She so hated her, it. She did not like it. Everything I've read, anyway. I don't know what these people on Twitter... And there are so many of them, by the way. It is not some minority. This is like the majority of people on my Twitter feed saying that she would be so disappointed. I have not researched the same Diana that I've researched. This was a woman who was very aggrieved by so many things about the royals. Yeah, and I think with all of that in mind, I feel totally dumbfounded by the level of vitriol they face. Harry and Meghan I'm talking about here. Like, are they likeable people? No, not really. Not really. Is that a crime? No, not really. I am so confused as to what their biggest crime is here, like what they've done to make people so fucking mad. I think some people would say, well, they're making money off their story. Well, everybody else seems to be making money off their story. Mm. Why not them? Some people are saying, but they spoke so ill of the monarchy. And it's like, well, well, they haven't yet. And even if they do in these next few episodes... Like, why is that blasphemy? Why did we decide that the monarchy was some overly protected institution that you could never disrespect? Some people might argue, well, they whinge too much about their circumstances while ignoring their great wealth. And I mean, as you said, Mish, I think they could definitely do a little bit more to acknowledge that. But truthfully, their reality sounds like my nightmare. And I do not think you could put an envelope, an envelope, I think you'd need more of it than an envelope, a, a briefcase full of cash. Very 90s of you. What about a, just, just a, a bank a transfer? <laughs> yeah, just a computer screen. <laughs> you couldn't put a bank transfer of cash in front of me to want to live their life. Yeah. Like money is relevant to a point here. But also not because I'm like, it doesn't erase or change the fundamentals of the problem here, which is that in my mind, living like this, being this exposed would be my kind of torture. Yeah. I wonder if so much of the hatred is people's inability to understand that Harry and Meghan will not go away. I feel like people believe like the tabloids, the media, maybe social media bandwagons. It's like if we shout at you enough, if we shout at you enough, you will fall into submission. I we thought you said shout, <laughs> not shout. Oh, Annabelle, come on. This is a, this is a quality podcast, <laughs> yeah, Annabelle. Come on. But if this we shout mature. at you, if we kind of beat you down, you will be in a submissive yeah. position. Harry and Meghan refuse to do that. Like it's been years now and they're still jumping up. Yes, they're telling mostly the same story, but they're still telling it. And they're still telling it quite strong and quite proud and quite loud. And I wonder if that's where like this increasing vitriol is coming from on top of all the race stuff, of course, of like, why are they not shutting up? Like they're not going anywhere and we want them to go away now. I think and they're not. For the tabloids, that would be a huge part of it because they'd be so used to being able to shut people up because they, yes. they wield so much power. 
I think when I think about my biggest takeaways when it comes to watching this documentary series, I probably have two. The first, overwhelmingly, is that a monarchy is absurd. Like, (laughs) truly, as much as I adore the you know, theatre of it all, as much as I will consume books like the Palace Papers because I'm desperately interested in the dynamics of it all because it's totally bizarre to me. And you just look at this and it's like, it doesn't sound like anyone in the monarchy even likes it. Like, what the fuck is the point here? It's very silly. It's (laughs) absurd. Like, I think you can't not watch this and think this entire institution is absurd. The second thing I can't help but think, and I appreciate I'm saying this three episodes in and I might be proven wrong, (laughs) but I believe pretty wholeheartedly that Meghan and Harry are playing a long game, not a short game. I believe that they eventually will have the last laugh, that we will look back on this in 50, 60, 70 years and think, hmm, Maybe they weren't so bad. An mm. oracle take? That is an oracle take. They can't be proved wrong until I'm about fucking 80. Are we still here then? What is my main takeaway? I think my main takeaway is I've really appreciated the way they've tackled messiness. Yeah. Because the Samantha Markle stuff, like Megan's half-sister who has been running her mouth for six, seven years now, has really like probably affected them. We know it's affected them behind the scenes and it's been the tabloid media's favourite thing ever. The way Harry and Meghan got their hands a little dirty in this documentary and the way they handled Samantha Markle by bringing out Samantha Markle's biological daughter who was like besties with Meghan and they've kept this like incredible relationship behind closed doors. That to me, I was like, that's the messiness I love. I think they had to get messy though. Truthfully, I think if they were going to do this, I think they had to tell the whole truth, not the half truth. When I think they've been telling the half truth all this time. I think they're going to get messier in the next three. I know. I think there will be... Some assertions about one William and Kate. There'll be there'll be there'll be shadowy assertions or like obscure, but I think they will say a lot they by will, saying not much. Yes, I think I agree. They're not going to be explicit about it. I'll I say think, W and K, not William. No, no. <laughs> they won't even. They won't give names. I just don't think they will because I think if you're Harry, you probably still want to leave the window ajar or mm. the door ajar for a reunion with your only sibling. And I I think if you speak ill of them on this this is probably door closed i think the door's closed i think this i think it's not closed no it's not (laughs) i think it has to be it's a great question for your save friday they're not too young zara they're like one of their 40s they're 40 they've got so many years he's becoming king this man's becoming king he cannot now, welcome back, right, Harry, with your right. arms. That is a good Your Say Friday question. Is the door slightly ajar? Or is the door closed? <laughs> Guys, that is all we've got time for today. Here's hoping these next few episodes that drop today, the day that this episode comes out, aren't totally fucked and we have to <laughs> everything we say in this. But I still feel quite passionately about those first few episodes and how I feel. You said that legacy is going to be amazing. Yeah. Imagine if they get on and say this completely deranged. I know, I know. But sometimes you've got to have a bit of courage. I'm going to be Taylor today. I am inspired by Taylor Swift. That is all we've got time for. If you want to support the show, you know where to find us. We are on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. We are on TikTok at Shameless underscore podcast. Annabelle Louie, anything to add? No. 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 Oh, thanks so much, guys. We will be back in your ears for our last episode of the year. Woo! Our year in review. Next Thursday. Next Thursday. But also we'll have another on Monday and then some other stuff. Book club on. will be around yeah, some point. Yeah, you know what? Still heaps going on, guys. <laughs> Too much, in Just fact. Just keep an eye on our feed. Yeah. Refresh. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Media.
This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.